You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Join me for this episode, Nick Delatore from Gators Territory. Nick, I was going to have you on this week anyway. It was uh, Will Miles was going to be on, but uh, lo and behold, he had a baby last week. So uh, big congrats there to 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 Will and the birth of his uh, uh, baby boy uh, last week. But uh, I think you and I can handle it. It's a lot to handle, but uh, I stated the program style of episode. But uh, uh, one more congrats to to Will out there. How selfish of Will putting his his family <laughs> and baby ahead of ahead of Gator fans that want to hear his takes. <laughs> Congratulations, yeah, I mean, Will. Yeah, for uh, for one, um, state of the program. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty big. And, uh, I, I thought it was important after after the twenty twenty season, and I think you can kind of hit this topic after signing day because everything kind of comes together. Uh, everybody, you want to go out there and, and check out the national signing day episode. Will and I hit uh, last week. Go to ter- Gators territory as well. A lot of national signing day coverage, even though a lot didn't happen <laughs> last week for the game. Yeah, I was gonna say we could we could have done that last. We could have done the, <laughs> the breakdown last month. <laughs> was, uh, exactly. Besides it was transfers, so, it, was, it was so crazy because like um, Cassidy Hill texted me on signing day. And she's like, "Are we not doing a press conference?" And I was like, "No, I guess not." Yeah, I mean, you know, just as good as I did, we probably would have heard Tuesday at the latest if we were going to have one. And mm-hmm. I know I got a couple of fans asked me if if there was going to be one. I was like, I I don't think so. I said that Florida had, didn't let us know Monday, didn't let us know Tuesday. And, uh, you know, besides some transfers and some coaching hires, you know, I, I think we probably could discuss with Dan Mullen those two topics. But, you know, uh, the 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 base of a of a of a signing day, which is high school recruits, you know, all that was taken care of in December. So I guess Florida was like, okay, vacation time. Listen, uh, if I had a $6 million salary, I would like to go on vacation as much as Dan Mullen. So go ahead, man. Use use that money. Use use those booster jets and, and tell me how Tahiti is. Uh, I just don't think Nick Saban's staff is on vacation right now. <laughs> Probably so. Uh, shout out to Nelly. Nelly uh, just sent me a text saying he's uh, he's checking in here for, uh, for for this episode. Thanks a lot, Nelly, for for checking out. Thanks to all you uh, checking us out as well on this uh, state of the program episode here of Gators Breakdown. Before we get started, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show on YouTube. Hit that like <coughs> button. Hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out here on uh, YouTube. Live, of course, you'll notice the uh, Super Chat feature uh, for a donation. It'll highlight your comment for everyone in the chat to see, and I'll try and post it on the stream as well, as long as it's supportive or pertinent to the topic. If you just want the audio version of Gators Breakdown, check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Nick, man, I, I think the best way to start this is just, let's just look at see and see what Dan Mullen's done so far in his tenure at Florida. Record by the season here, 2018, 10 and 3, 11 and 2 in 2019, 8 and 4 in 2020 with the shortened season there. Uh, I posted this, Nick, a couple weeks ago. 
records of SEC teams since Mullen became head coach at Florida in 2018. Uh, he's made he, look. He's made Florida football fun again. This kind of backs it up here too. Alabama, of course, first in the sure. SEC, 38 and three record since 2018. Since Dan Mullen has taken over, that's good for 92.7 percent uh, winning percentage there for Alabama. Georgia, 31 and seven. As I mentioned, Alabama was at 92%, basically 93% winning percentage. Georgia, all the way down to 81.6, but that's good for second in the SEC. LSU, 30 and 8 since 2018, 79%. Then Florida, 29 and 9, 76.3% winning percentage. And then Nick, a little surprise here Kentucky. Kentucky, right behind Florida. 23 and 14 with a 62.2% winning percentage since 2018. That's tied with Auburn with the same record. 23 and 14, 62.2% winning percentage. So, Nick, Florida's record versus those teams there. That's the best of the SEC uh, when you look at it. Alabama, Kentucky. Yeah. Kentucky's the best of the SEC. They are Are tied for. Are they a football school now? Because I don't think the basketball team's doing that well. Man, tied for fifth since 2018 in wins uh, there. Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Florida, Kentucky, and Auburn tied for fifth. Florida's record versus those team, Nick, five and six with two wins coming versus – Yeah, two of those wins versus Kentucky. One over LSU in 2018, one over Auburn in 2019, and a win over Georgia in 2020. So 0-1 versus Bama, 1-2 versus Georgia, 1-2 versus LSU – Two and one versus Kentucky, one and zero versus Auburn. That's the SEC's best there. Uh, that's how he stacks up, Nick, versus uh, the SEC's best since he's been hired. A quick sidebar: What sticks out to me about LSU? They were sixteen and zero in their national championship year, weren't they? Or fifteen and zero? It would be twelve and zero, thirteen and zero, fourteen, fourteen, fifteen. Yep. So that's a fifteen and eight record. Other than you know one magical season, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's the, the they had the high of the high in 2019 and yeah. the low of the low in 2020. Uh they did turn it around. You know, they beat Florida and Ole Miss there the last two weeks of the season. Uh did old or did did LSU. But uh yeah, but but, but Nick, here's it is. I mean, here here's what it is. Alabama 38 and three. So that was like I said, basically 93%. And then look at this Georgia, LSU, and Florida pretty much grouped together. Georgia 81.6, LSU 79%. Florida 76. Not much separate Georgia, LSU, and Florida since Dan Mullen's taken over. No. Um, overall, I, record, I, well, overall record-wise, of course. You know, LSU with a national right. championship. Georgia with college football playoff. Well, they didn't they didn't, play, they didn't make the playoff in 2018, but they played in the SEC championship game twice in 2018-2019 uh, there. So, you know, that's pretty much, you know, where they are a little better. Uh, than Florida, Georgia, and LSU. But mm-hmm. as I said, you know, looking at it, there's three teams right there are, are grouped together, Georgia, LSU, and Florida. Yeah, I thought the I, – I really felt like the Georgia game was a big step. And, and I, I literally said it before the game, and a lot of people didn't like the, the tweet, but I said this is a career statement game for Dan Mullen. Is he Gainesville Mark Richt where you're going to be good and you're going to win 10 games every year? but you're going to lose to your rival and you're going to lose to Georgia or can you get over this hump and can you become elite? And then I think what we saw, and maybe you agree, maybe you don't Florida will deny it. The players, the coaches up and down that Georgia game was their Super Bowl. They did not look like that team that beat Georgia the rest of the season, maybe against Alabama. Um, Cause that game, the SC championship game was actually close. Uh, I mean, a couple plays either way. If, if you, uh, if Trey Dean doesn't fumble that, maybe Florida goes down and score. If Dan doesn't call a timeout before going for two and has a play ready, maybe you have more time for a, a game-winning drive there. Um, but other than that, against Tennessee, against Kentucky, against Vanderbilt, that Florida didn't look good. Um, so I really think that you you pushed all in versus Georgia, and then we're just happy after that. Because that, to me, if, if the team that beat Georgia shows up the rest of the way, Florida looks impressive in those next three wins, and then – probably gives – well, I mean, they already did give Alabama their best game of the year um, in, in 2020. Um, but maybe maybe we're talking about a, diff- a whole different end of the season because the end of the season leaves a really bad taste in your mouth, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we'll get into that because that's that, that's a big part of state of the program, Nick, of is how Florida fell in, in 2020. But since 2018, Nick, uh, I'll kind of I'll, I'll extend that thought. Florida is eighth among FBS teams in total wins since Dan Mullen has been hired. That's behind Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, LSU. Huh. That sounds very familiar to uh to recruiting rankings, if you ask me, uh, but <laughs> we'll get but into stars that don't matter because there weren't a bunch of five stars in the Super Bowl, Dave. <laughs> um, look, they, when it comes down to it, you ask pretty much any Gator fan out there when Dale Mullen was hired, if they would take everything that I just laid out, they would probably take it. Now, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the one and two records versus Georgia and LSU aren't anything to write home about that, you know, that, that can stick with you. But overall, I think if you look at the overall picture and going to your point right here, except the late season slide of 2020, you know, Mullen, he's put the Gators on track somewhat mm-hmm. in the conversation. And you know, <clears throat> I think part of this, Nick, and, and one thing I wanted to look at um, in the ESPN brought this up and they broke down tiers of college football. And they mm-hmm. broke down all 130 teams. Uh, we're not going to break down all 130, but uh, just for the sake of the conversation here, tier one, and that's what they call championship favorites. No surprise. Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Those teams have dominated the college football playoff appearances. They've you know, been in conference championship games the last few years. That's just, you know, and, and they, they do really good uh, recruiting as well. So, of course, teams are really going to – or, or Pundits and media are really going to jump on those teams as putting them in tier one. And of course, you know, all those teams, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, uh, not so much Georgia, but Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, many, many college football playoff appearances and ending the season in, in top 10 fashion. Tier two, knocking on the door. And this is what, you know, is going to, then this is for the tiers going into the 2021 season, not an overall, you know, college football, but going into 2021. They have Florida in that tier two. But they have Florida grouped with North Carolina, Notre Dame, Oregon, Penn State, Texas, Texas A&M. No LSU on tier two. I had to go look at that. I think they had tier. I think just because of you know they're going towards twenty twenty one and the way LSU played in twenty twenty, had LSU all the way down at tier four, which was kind of surprising to me. But I digress. You know, looking at Florida here. So Nick, going into it, as I said, go back to 2018. I think most Gator fans are happy with what Dan Mullen has been able to bring to the table. Hard to forgive that late season 2020 slide, but ESPN here, you know, for 2021 has Florida still in that tier two knocking on the door. I think it's not not to say that we're being prisoners of the moment because obviously the end of the season and then listen Florida was completely checked out, did not mm-hmm. want to be in uh, in the Cotton Bowl at all. Did had to me, it didn't look like they had a plan to win the game. It was just like, hey, let's just run out there, collect the Cotton Bowl paycheck, and, and let's get out of here. Um, Nick, you're going to write what you're going to write. You're gonna, you're... <laughs> Dan, Dan was tired of me by the end of the year. I'm glad we don't have a couple of press conferences. You can forget me for a little bit. Um, <laughs> but, but I did, after that game, I, I stayed up way too late, and I went back and I looked at Dan's record for top twenty against top 25 teams. First off, he's 0-10 versus Saban. Yep. That was going to be that was going to be one of the next topics. So go right ahead. That to transition he's, well. He's twelve and thirty nine versus top twenty five teams, eight and twenty versus top ten. Now it's not fair. He took over a Mississippi State team that was bad, and he had to play a ranked LSU. Arkansas was ranked when he first got there. He had to play Alabama a bunch. So then I broke it down to well, when his team was also ranked in the top twenty five, six and thirteen, and then of course you mentioned. Uh, five and six versus AP top 25 ranked teams. So I think part of it is, like you said, I think the program is in the going in the right direction. Obviously, three straight New Year's Six Bulls. Now you have an expectation, and I think what happens is not just the end of the season being a disappointment, but then you get into recruiting, and you see, well, we're not competing with Alabama recruiting. How are we going to compete with Alabama on the field? We're not competing with Georgia recruiting. A lot of the recruiting rankings or none of the recruiting rankings are including um, getting an Eric Gilbert, getting a Demarcus Bowman. These are five-star guys. Eric Gilbert was the fifth-rated player overall just a year ago. I mean, he's not going to include into this. Uh, I mean, Portal Combat, Dan Mullen and his staff, the, you know, they, they get fatality all the time. They're great in the portal. I think the frustration is seeing, okay, sure, Florida finishes 12th, but you're fifth in the SEC. 
So is and you shouldn't be. I think at Florida, listen, you don't need to be a top three team every single year, but the success you're having on the football field should be showing more in recruiting battles. And I think that's part of the frustration as well because football season is only three four months of the year. Recruiting is twenty four seven, and I think the frustration is the perception, whether it's true or not. And I have my own opinions that the staff is lazy uh, when it comes to recruiting and. They're, they're fine taking projects or, or getting kids in, in the portal. And listen, it's working out. You got Van Jefferson, Trayvon Grimes, Jonathan Gernard. Like, you're hitting in the portal. But I think fans want to see more five-star, high four-star high school kids um, committed to Florida, not guys that are coming, you know, as a one-year Band-Aid. Yeah, that, uh, going there, record versus ranked teams, you kind of hit it there. Uh, teams that finished in the AP poll at the end of the season – uh, four seven versus top twenty five, two and six versus top ten. Uh, and look, at, and going back to your time, you know Mississippi State. For Florida fans and other fans, that's for you to judge. However, you want to judge for you know his time at Mississippi State, what he did, uh, and and with an underman squad week in and week out, going against some of the nation's best teams. Um, you know, and but you know, the thought was once he got a roster, he could compete with that. He'd do much better. It is better, and and, mm-hmm. and and while building the program in its early stages, and you know, I, I don't really think that stats all that terrible, but I I would like to see it be a bit better. And you know, let's take a look how it broke out. Twenty eighteen, one of those top ten wins happened. LSU finished one spot ahead of Florida in twenty eighteen uh, at number six. Florida lost in number seven Georgia and number twelve Kentucky beat number fourteen Michigan in twenty nineteen. Lost to number one LSU, lost to number four Georgia, beat number fourteen Auburn. Not nothing to really be ashamed about there in 2019. Lost to number one, lost to number four, beat number 14. Didn't really play a whole lot of ranked teams in 2019. Then comes 2020, where Florida lost to number one Alabama, number four Texas A&M, number six Oklahoma, beat number seven Georgia. Georgia was the only ranked team Florida beat in 2020. So Nick, I, I think this goes to uh, the kind of question too: What's the best win in Dan Mullen's tenure since he's been in Florida? Georgia. There's kind of, I think there's kind of, yeah, there's different ways to weigh it. Revisionist history may tell us, okay, 2018 mm-hmm. win versus LSU. They weren't the 2019 Tigers, but they only lost to Alabama the rest of the way in 2018. Ended up being a pretty good team that year. Uh, in 2019, Auburn was the only ranked team uh, and ranked win that season. Best win of that season. Doesn't really register as best win, though. Um, best atmosphere, probably, since Dan Mullen's been hired because of that 2019 Auburn game, but not the best win. And then this past season, the big must-needed win over Georgia. It had to happen in 2020 yeah. and did it in blowout fashion. And look, I, I still think Florida wins that game, even if JT Daniels in plays in, in a full-strength Georgia defense. As long as Florida, as going to your point, Nick, was in that same groove that they were in mm-hmm. that night, I think Florida still wins that game. Would have been a closer game. Probably looks like the Florida-Alabama SEC championship game with Florida coming out on top in that in, in, versus Georgia in that fashion. Uh, but you know, final ranking, say, 2018 number six LSU was the best win uh, over the 2020 number seven Georgia Bulldogs. But it being Georgia, going to your point, Mullen absolutely needing it. I go beating Georgia as, as the best win. Uh, but I, I say that 2018 LSU was the better team if you look at that team probably throughout a whole season. And I'd probably pick the end of season 2018 LSU versus a end of season 2020 Georgia Bulldogs. That was a that was the the jumping off point for Joe Burrow and that LSU team. Uh lost to Florida and then tore it up after that. Um the Michigan Peach Bowl probably felt good. Not as yeah. important as against Georgia, but probably felt good given the last two times you had played Michigan in recent history didn't go well, and then that was just a beating. Um, and they don't, don't put a lot of stock in bowl games, but early in coaches' tenures, I think it can really help, and right. that game absolutely did help. Yeah, I was just thinking just from a fan standpoint, like yeah, the last exactly. two times Florida played Michigan, it's like, please, not enough. <laughs> not, first <laughs> off, it was like, why have Florida's played Michigan more times than they've played Auburn, who used to be a yearly rival? And I was like, why do I know <laughs> – Michigan beat writers by name, I was, you know, seeing them so much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, for me, it would definitely be that Georgia game. And it was just because to me, it was, you know, like Will Muschamp lost to Georgia, lost to Georgia, lost to Georgia. This is Dan Mullen comes from the Urban Meyer tree. You don't lose to your rivals. Like 
okay, shoot, we got tripped up and we lost to Ole Miss. But guess what? We're not losing to LSU. We're not losing to Florida State. And we're not losing to Georgia. Those are teams you have to beat and you have to beat consistently um, to to be the kind to be as successful as you need to be um, as a coach of Florida. Uh, Nick, so I think, you know, given that little history there of kind of where we're at at, at this point uh, for Florida and going back to that tier that ESPN put Florida at, I think the big question along a lot of people, fans' minds, a lot of people, a lot of people's minds, does Florida stay in that tier or do they make a jump? Uh, when do they make that jump? Does the late season 2020 slide change expectations much? Uh, you know, 2021 is a, a big season of change, a tough schedule. Uh, a big shift in offensive philosophy, coaching changes, and, and, and trying to fix an historically bad defense all while playing Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. And, of course, we've discussed, discussed at great length here, you know, re- recruiting, you know, is it good enough? Transfers or not, we're still asking ourselves that question. Yeah, and, and I was just doing a – we're doing – one of the national guys doing a bigger piece on on players and who's leaving, which guys are staying – um, you mentioned the three coaches leaving. That's probably the most turnover. That is the most turnover Dan Mullins ever had on his coaching staff um, since he's been a head coach at Mississippi State or at Florida, three coaches in a season. Um, you've got 15 seniors, including Trask and Tony, um, my boy Jacob Finn, hundreds of people too. He's also leaving. But I'm getting like a I'm getting big LSU after 2019 vibes minus the national championship. So if we're talking state of the program i'm looking a lot of turnover i think the offense is going to be completely different you're losing a ton of guys and like the seniors that you're getting back are any of these exciting to you jeremiah moon Stuart reese rick wells gene delance like it's a it's a big i'm not gonna say re you know rebuilding here but there's a lot of question marks uh for florida and for and for dan and uh i'm hoping we can go actually watch them practice in the spring um, because I, I just need to see it. There's just so many question marks. Quarterback, uh, how does the running back room shake out? That's so deep. That I, mm-hmm. I just, I, I think, I think we're going to look at a completely different team. And if Eric Gilbert transferred to Florida, thinking that he was going to catch many passes, Kyle Pitts, I don't think Florida's going to be throwing the ball like that <laughs> next year. No, absolutely not. You know, definitely something that was brought up uh, with with, the, with this offense. And, and, and come to Gilbert. Florida and go like, "What the heck happened? <laughs> this, is not, this is not what I watched." Um, Nick, I I think part of this, and I think we're you know, I don't want to speak for all the fans out there, and uh, this is kind of coming from from my point of view. Mm-hmm. Should there be this many questions after year three? And I think a lot of it comes after that late slide of 2020 and the, the losing the, the inexcusable game to LSU, Bama, you, you mentioned it. I mean, you gave your best, all that. But then the Cotton Bowl, no matter the circumstances, still rub people the wrong way in, in some form or fashion. Maybe not the game itself, but maybe the way you attack the game. And then and, Wave, waving a white flag before kickoff. <laughs> right. And so and then, of course, all the off field NFL and all that stuff, t- talk and uh, coaching changes and now, you know, recruiting. And I think that's kind of where uh, I'll go next and take a, you know, a historical look at recruiting. We go to that part of it, Nick. But I mean, I, I think that's where a lot of the question comes from is we've played three seasons mm-hmm. under Dan Mullen. 2020 was supposed to be somewhat the year of late me, season slide. Is, and me, now there's the a question. Year. To me, this is the year with what you had coming back, the amount of seniors you had. I think really our only questions were uh, at wide receiver, but then Kyle Pitts has the season he does. Tony has the season. The schedule laid out. It, it was it would have been easier before the ten game schedule, but then I guess A and M probably was a tougher game. Uh, you know, if you see their season, but the schedule laid out really well for Florida. You had to beat Georgia, and, and that was pretty much it. And they and they took care of that. So I think the the frustrating part was. It was just, it wasn't even a drama free year. It was just, there's never a dull moment, but it was just something every week. And it was either a loss or Dan Mullen doing something that caused negative attention. Um, and then the whole NFL thing like, listen, I'm also very interested in Jennifer Aniston. I don't think she's interested in me. <laughs> I think Dan Mullen lost a bunch of leverage. He's in, he finished, he got a six year contract. He finished three years. You want your head coach to have four years on their deal so they don't get negatively recruited against. What did Dan Mullen do all year long? He punted any kind of leverage he had 
in contract negotiations out the door. So Jimmy Sexton sends Adam Schefter a little text, says, hey, NFL might want Dan Mullen. He says it on TV, and now it's a thing, and you and I have to sit here and talk about it. I don't think the NFL was interested in Dan Mullen. I think Dan Mullen wanted to get some leverage back, and that was something we were chasing a ghost, Dave. I don't think that was ever going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I think that interest is there. I, but like you said, it's uh, it's, it's one-sided, it's, like me and Jennifer right. Aniston. One-sided it's very hard interest. To, <laughs> very hard to tell um, where, where it's coming at in the NFL. So, yeah. A lot of questions in year three, Nick. Big part of it still, the late season 2020 slide, and then, of course, recruiting. Uh, I think that's kind of why you have to weigh on these kind of maybe state of the programs, maybe the week after signing day like we did here. Uh, tease that we were doing this last week, but, of course, uh, I think you have to kind of wait till after signing day as well when you want to look at it. And, look, Mullen should get lauded for, and you mentioned it, the way he's used the portal and the way he's used it to, to get some good players. Uh, but once again, you know, the, the argument is why can't both paths, both, both paths be great? You know, traditional recruiting doesn't have to suffer or need to suffer because of the transfer portal. And look, we, we can tout top 10 classes Mullen has brought in, but how many of those players ever played it down for Florida? You know, mm. if we're going to praise the players coming in as transfers for Florida, I think at the same time, we have to be alarmed by the number of players that have left Florida without ever even playing a snap for, for the Gators. The 2018 transition class ended up ranked 14th, headlined by Jacob Copeland, Richard Garage, Emory Jones as the highest ranked players in the class. Also featured Kyle Pitts, by the way. But Justin Watkins was the fourth highest recruit in that class, never played it down for the Gators. Lucas Kroll featured uh, for only two seasons, but that was expected as a JUCO guy. Florida tight end production behind Pence wasn't really going to be any better with or without Kroll uh, in, in 2020. He knew that. He transferred away. But Malik Langham, out. John Huggins, out. Randy Russell, medical condition, couldn't play. Transfers that year, Van Jefferson, Trevon Grimes, Adam Schuler, all big-time contributors at their, in their time at Florida. But, you know, you see the additions and subtractions as to why you just can't add and not take away <laughs> with some of these better players in the class not ever playing. 2019, the bump class, the class that's historically coaches make that jump. The class finished ninth, fifth in the SEC. Chris Steele, top-rated player in the class, never played it down for the Gators. Same for Jalen Jones, Deontay Marks, never contributed. The one black yet to make it, make, make, yet to make it to campus, but he should in May. Deave Hammond, Wardrick Wilson, two offensive linemen that never played a snap for the Gators. So that's a top ten class, but when you look deeper. It really isn't. You brought in Jonathan Gennard. Yeah. I do what? So you just lost half of it. You yeah, named you a brought- top 10 class and you dropped 12 kids. <laughs> you mean you brought in Jonathan Gennard, but you got one season out of him. You know, Steele, Jones, Black, Hammond, Wilson were all four stars and never played a down out of that class. That hurts. You know, and, and I look at one position that we keep keying on for these Gators is offensive line. I just named guys there that were four stars, never played a snap for the Gators on the, among the offensive line. And then you replaced them, you know, and you haven't really replaced offensive linemen through the portal except for Stuart Reese. Uh, 2020 class, headlined Gervin Dexter, Derek Wingo, Xavier Henderson, also featured another four-star offensive lineman, Isaiah Walker, who never played a snap for the Gators. So, you know, that was a big, you know, that, that, that was a big hit, but overall not as bad as the year before with just numbers uh, of guys that never played uh, a snap. But with an exit of, of, of players without ever playing a snap, not as bad as the year before. But last year, also featured transfers, five-star Brenton Cox, five-star Lorenzo Lingard, five-star Justin Shorter, four-star Stuart Reese. Still think we're waiting on those guys to play up to their potential, Nick. And then the 2021 class from last week, if you add in five-star transfers, Eric Gilbert, Demarcus Bowman, uh, defensive tackles, Naquan Newkirk, Antonio Shelton, give the Gators a class that would finish just inside the top 10. But as I said, it's weird when you add transfers into class rankings as a a big majority of those guys are three to five year players, not just one to three year players that you're getting in in the portal. Most will only be one to two year players uh, and looking at that. So Nick, taking a look there, the portal is a necessity for Florida since they have struggled to pull in top talent from high school, get some signees on the field. Um, They have to fill these holes through the portal and those players look to be the part uh, as far as raising the talent level for Dan Mullen's team. The portal's here to stay. Mullen is taking advantage, but we just don't know how it's going to work long term. Still a lot of Jim McElwain players that were big contributors 
just as recent as this past season uh, for the Gators. So I think we can also ask ourselves, Nick, the recruits that have signed, are they not developing fast enough? You know, we discussed the trenches a lot. Florida's having to bring in two defensive track, two defensive tackle transfers because, you know, besides Gervin Dexter, not they haven't you know, recruited well enough numbers-wise or developed anyone there at that position. Many of the players that haven't even played a snap for Florida are offensive linemen, but Florida has only brought in Stuart Reese through the portal. So you like to have this offensive line, the linemen you originally recruited, sign being developed. Look, the portal is a strategy that may pay off with the way traditional recruiting is lacking. Hitting the portal is a must, and in doing it, it's been really good for Dan Mullen. But I do think it's fair to ask, should it have to be done? Early in this tenure, you're trying to transition the roster from Jim McElwain's recruiting. I think it was a necessity. Uh, the early on, the portal had to be hit. It was hit well. Uh, but as we get further from those Jim McElwain years, st- should it have to be reliability? You don't turn down talent like Bowman and Gilbert. Absolutely not. You get those guys however you can get them. But besides talent like that, I'd like to see it be built and developed from scratch because it still seems like that's the path to consistency. It seems it seems like the, the portal should be used as, you know, picking your spots, a Gilbert, a Bowman, instead of, ah, oh, well, we didn't get that kid, so I guess we'll just wait to see who is, you know, entering the portal after the season. Uh, it almost seems like there's as much emphasis on the portal when you should just be kind of cherry picking from the portal and really pouring your attention and your resources into recruiting high school players that will be with you for three, four years. Instead of the guys, you know, I called them a bandaid. You know, I would love a John Grenard bandaid every single year. Give me, you know, 11 sacks a year as a bandaid. Sure. Um, But I think maybe that's it. And I think that's probably where it's not, listen, the portal is not easy either. You have a bunch of guys going to get, you know, recruiting these, uh, these guys over again. Um, I just think maybe people see it as lazy from the staff. Oh, well, they're getting beat out by Nick Saban for this guy, and then they're just, you know, taking whoever was unhappy at LSU or whoever was unhappy at, you know, Oklahoma or from somewhere else. I just think that this this coaching staff has to do something to change that perspective that they are lazy recruiters. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you're not going to turn down the five-star talent, you know, however however Mm -hmm. you do get – but however you do get them – but I mean, uh, I, I just I think there's still a lot of questions on if that's going to work, and we know the way that does work. <laughs> and but it does seem like this staff at least realizes they can't recruit that well on the high school front, and they are at least trying the other way to at least keep the roster talent up. I wonder if it's <clears throat> almost being I'm the smartest guy in the room and, hey, I don't need to get that five-star. You look at John Hevesy and it's just like three-star lineman, and then he he's a great, I think, on-field coach and a great technical teacher of offensive linemen, and it's like, all right, I'll show you. You thought this kid wasn't going to be anything? Well, it might take four years. He's a redshirt junior before he's starting, but, hey, you're a good player. But I think when you're at Florida, when you're at Florida and when you're at Mississippi State, it's two completely different – uh, recruiting philosophies. There's kids that you could have a undefeated season at Mississippi State, and you bring a kid from Miami up to Starkville, and you're like, hey, look, we're going to use you, this, this, and this. And they go, I'm not living in Starkville, Mississippi. Are you crazy? <laughs> so they had to take kids. Nothing gets Dewan Black. I'm really excited for him to get on campus, but yep. they took a chance, not even took a chance. They knew Dewan Black wasn't going to qualify out of high school. Take his commitment, which takes a spot. You know he's not going to be there, but that takes a spot that somebody else would have had. You continue a relationship, keep that keep the relationship through his two years at JUCO, and now you're hoping, hey, we're going to have a good player for a year, maybe two years. That's stuff that you have to do at Mississippi State. You have to be creative. At the University of Florida, you need to walk into somebody's living room and know that that logo on your chest carries weight. You don't have to get creative. You tell the number one quarterback in the country, hey, Dan Mullen, here's my quarterback coach. Wish it was still Brian Johnson. This is what we're going to do at Florida. Look at what Kyle Trask did. Look at our, our, our history with Tim Tebow and Dak Prescott. And, and you sell that. You don't have to get as creative. And I think maybe they're still in that Mississippi State mindset where you can be a little more lax days. And there's certainly not going to be as much criticism if you're the 27th ranked class you know, uh, at Mississippi State. If you're the 27th ranked class at Florida, you're doing something wrong or not doing anything at all. 
I mean, yeah, look, I had plenty of Mississippi State media on when Dan Mullen was hired, and they they, they laid this out. Basically, what we're talking about. With we Dan didn't Mullen. want to hear it at the time. Like, no, you're wrong. Yeah. The, the, the logo was going to be different. And don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to compare it like that. It's just mm-hmm. if you kind of compare the apples and the oranges of Florida and Mississippi State, it's a, a bit, you know, knowing the expectations from each place, the complaints are the same. Yeah. So that's that that's where it's kind of coming from there. Um, and, uh, and look, and, and I still kind of go back to the question, should there be this many questions after year three? I don't think we thought we were going to be asking these questions <laughs> after after the 2020 season going into 2021 when Dan Mullen was hired. I don't think we were, thought we'd be asking these questions in November. Like, oh, there you go. Yeah, I, guess I keep going back to that late season slide. You're right. And th- that November, Florida Beach, Georgia. Wasn't yeah. even close, and you're thinking, "Yeah, yeah, bring on Bama, bring on." And we were guilty of it. Oh fans, yeah. yeah, fans were like, "We play Tennessee this week." We we're like, "Well, I've been thinking about Bama for a month now, so I didn't have to play any snaps, so we could sit there and talk about it." But right. um, and whether it's fair or unfair, listen, you're going to be compared to Nick Saban. That's that's the big dog right now. That's the big man on campus. So. Can you recruit like him? Not many guys have been able to. Dabo, um, Lincoln Riley to an extent, uh, Kirby until he kicks his next five-star quarterback off campus and they go somewhere else. Um, You're not going to, but you need to at least be competitive. And I think that's probably where I think there's a gap. I mean, Nick Saban's 70 years old and just signed his best recruiting class ever. Um, So, I mean, he's doing something. Yeah. Um, So – you know, with the end of the 2020 season and recruiting, there's still a lot of questions, Nick. And, and with that ending to the season, that changed that did change the outlook for, for many fans out there. I, I've I've talked to many fans out there, um, seen message boards, you guys message boards there at Rivals, uh, Gators territory. You know, I, I I think that late season slide in recruiting has definitely, I think, made some fans tap the brakes a little bit. You know, you had the ending of the season, the press conferences, all the NFL talk, the replacement for coaching hires. You know, it started raising a lot of questions from the fan base and not sure we thought in 2018 uh, there'd be this many questions. And Nick, we'll get into, I'll get your quick thoughts on the coaching changes 2021 uh, a, a bit as well. You know, Georgia overwhelming favorite to win the East. I'm not sure, you know, should, should that be the case after year three? You know, of course games have to be played, but, doesn't perception play a role here too? And I know going back to when Mullen was hired, I didn't think we'd be going into year four thinking Georgia would be an overwhelming favorite going into any season past Mullen's second season. You know, basically the only way that changes is Mullen goes out there and beats Georgia again. Uh, you know, the 2021 schedule, uh, looking at, you know, Alabama's on the schedule. And Nick, I, I think this is a pretty good way. Maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way. 2020, that's the season. And going to Atlanta and playing Alabama, I think it showed you how close the, those teams were, the 2020 Alabama team and the 2020 Florida team. I don't think it showed you how close the programs are. I think 2021 could, could show that. Hold on, hold on. I'm not – don't get me wrong. Even if you beat Alabama, you're not on that level of program. But I do think it's a feather in your cap. You know, of course, the rest of the season will have to play out. But you go, you beat Alabama in the first SEC game of the season. You go, and it's like, okay, maybe the gap is shrinking a bit. Maybe not the traditional way. But you go out there early in the season, you beat that Alabama team. No, you're not on their level program-wise. But you played them close in 2020. If you somehow go beat them in 2021, I think that's a feather in the cap there that shows, all right, things are still on the right track in some, some form and fashion. Yeah, that'd be a feather in Peter Pan's cap. And I'd love to follow you to Never Never Land where Florida's <laughs> beating Alabama in the third week of the season next year because I don't see it. Um, I didn't say it was going to happen. Yeah, grow up, Peter Pan. Um, <laughs> I, I don't see it. I, I, I don't see – this This was the year. You're. I guess you would rather – glass half full, you'd rather play Alabama working with a new quarterback and some new pieces early on in the year yeah. Yeah. than later, but you're in the same boat. You're working with a new quarterback, two new starting offensive linemen. Is Rick Wells a starting receiver? Until Eric Gilbert came, I went through, I was going through Florida's depth chart, and I'm like, I don't feel good about tight end. I don't feel good about receiver, unless Xavier Henderson um, really takes a jump from his freshman to his sophomore year. I just look at Florida's roster, and it's like I said before, I just have so many question marks. There's talent. I think Xavier Henderson can be great. 
If Jacob Copeland stops dropping passes, I think he can be an all-SEC wide receiver. There's pieces there, but then it's like, what is Shelton? What are these you know, defensive tackle transfers? Who's starting at safety? Um, I just think Florida has too many questions and has not recruited portal or high school-wise to be able to compete with Alabama. Like you said, the 2020 team, credit to Dan – Billy, John, Brian, the game plan they had to play that Alabama team that week was fantastic. I think they'll have another game plan for Alabama. I just don't think the talent is there. Yep. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't pick it. I wouldn't pick it. But if it does, if it does go happen, if, if it does, if it happens somehow, some way, then hey, bring, you- bring me on after Florida beats Alabama and I'll eat all the crow. <laughs> Uh, like, I ain't gonna pick it now, and I ain't gonna pick it the week of the game. Yeah. <laughs> this is just a, a hypothetical. What if? Then I think you can start. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll start. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll look. I'll look in the mirror really hard uh, <laughs> to think about how how it's being done. Um, and then you know, I think all of this, Nick, the good and the bad, you know, raises the big question of all: What is the next step? And when is the next step? You know, from mm-hmm. for, for many, the progress from the previous coaching staffs and beating Georgia in year three and winning the SEC East have them satisfied so far. And mm-hmm. then if that's the case for you, the question can be, you know, for me, when is it okay to move on from that? When is it okay to be wanting more than, Oh, it's, it's better than Will Muschamp. It's better than Jim McElwain. Eventually you got to take that next step. Eventually that's not going to be enough. Uh, and a lot of times in coaches tenure, you kind of know Year three, year four, that you know you're 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 on the right path. You're on a, you're on a path for championships. I think it's still an unknown uh, right now uh, for Dan Mullen. For some fans, 2020 was supposed to be that next step. Just beating Georgia, going to Atlanta wasn't enough. When you go and look at the window of opportunity that was there, an historically great offense, but it was paired with an equally as bad defense uh, in a year like no other due to COVID. Uh, with, with the way Florida recruits compared to Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, the window was still there with the way everything lined up on offense, the experience on staff and on the field that would help in a tough year like COVID where, where practice and preparation was limited. You had an experienced staff. You had a lot of experienced players. It was time to take advantage, much like LSU did in 2019. But that window was was shut late in the season. Once again, it was the teams with the most talent fighting it out in the college football playoff. Uh, and, and with that comes a lot of questions. And everything that happened, everything we just discussed, Nick, comes with a lot of questions. So, you know, the state of program in my eyes is it's been really fun these first three years under Dan Mullen, but still so many questions on the ceiling of the program that I didn't think I'd have after the third season when he was hired. I've been I've been negative, but I, listen, I, my first season was covering 2013. It has been way more fun the last three years with Dan Mullen with the offense. Um, I mean, even the defense. I go back to we were talking signature wins earlier. His probably first big win was winning in Starkville the first year after he le- after he left. I mean, um, Donovan Steiner's you know water boy sack at the end of the game that was fun. It's been fun, um, and, and I would would not trade you know, the this year and go back to like the McElwain or Muschamp years. I think the program's heading in the right direction. I think the ceiling of the program, I think you can be that Alabama. You can be a Clemson. You can reach that. Um, but like you said, I think the stars are kind of aligned. And, and COVID, COVID definitely changed things. Like you can see it across the board. Florida's defense was – Got a little bit better, but then tailed off towards the end of the season. But you saw everyone in the beginning. Alabama gave up almost 700 yards to Ole Miss. The beginning of the season, not being able to have a true camp, not being able to tackle and and do stuff like that, it took defenses a beat. Um, I I think the program can reach to an Alabama, Clemson, and can fight with those guys on a year-in-year-out basis. I just think into this year, I'm looking at LSU like last year, the 2019 team. Um, everything they did, and then you lose everyone. I'm looking at 15 seniors here, adding Kyle Trask, uh, I mean, uh, Kyle Pitts, and you're losing a ton. So I think the the stars aligned last year, and then you look at Florida's schedule this year, you draw LSU and Alabama from the West. You, you have the hardest schedule in the SEC with more question marks than you had last year. So that's probably where my pessimism is coming in if we're talking about the future 
Um, not the future long term. I'm just thinking about next year because I think it's yeah. more of a reloading year for Florida with a more difficult schedule than they had this previous season. Yeah, I think uh, that's where a lot of people are kind of leaning towards what I've kind of seen. The 2021, build it for 2022. That, yeah. You know, don't, don't throw away the season. You never know what happens. You go out there, you play the games. Weird things happen. You go out there. That's why you go play the game. Uh, you know, for 2021, as Nick said, everything you lose, all the changes, coaching staff and stuff as well. Um, you know, 2021 will be just that really, really unknown season. You go and look at the early rankings. Uh, you look at uh, Florida in that 15th range and you got Alabama. You got, you got the usual suspects up top. And, yeah. and I, I just think when, when Dan Mullen was hired, I expected, you know, starting every season, basically like you did, maybe the last two in that five, six, seven, eight range. Uh, but, you know, ESPN, as we said, kind of going back to the beginning of this episode, has Florida in that tier right behind the usual suspects. So, you know, things are headed <laughs> in the right direction in some, in some form, in some fashion, uh, and just a little bit different than uh, I think some of those uh, traditional ways of, uh, of doing so. Nick, before I let you go, man, um, you you hit on you hit the, you hit on the schedule a bit. I was going to get into that a bit more, but no, we really need to the the hires. What do you think about the new hires and, and how that kind of plays into? I, mean, I know fan base wasn't really happy <laughs> with, with the hires. I'm not going to lie uh, and say that the, the the first two, the the secondary hires, I didn't really mind so much. Uh, I, I think and, um, some unknown there uh, as far as Montanar comes and in, in the recruiting coordinator. Um, mm. He's got a pretty good history there for a young. For, for for a young coach so kind of making his way through the ranks i think um you know i like that but the, the mcgee hire replacing brian johnson was made quickly and um i think i think that's the one that has everybody wondering just a bit but uh here's my little more on the recruiting front more so because it's dan mullen's offense play caller quarterback coach all that good stuff yeah so it was um i i First off, right off the bat, I think Jules is doing a great job just being active on Twitter. Almost like I don't know what Tim Brewster means when he tweets, but he tweets a lot, and I think it gets the people going a little bit. Um, and I see Jules doing kind of the same thing. He's tweeting out, you know, the Jordan shoes that are exclusive to Florida and using those little advantages you have, just putting it out there, putting himself out there, interacting with people on social media. Um, to me, devil's advocate is – the new uh, quarterbacks coach, a sexy hire that's going to get you up in the morning and have you feeling good. No, but I don't think it was just a lazy thing. You had him come in last year as an analyst. He's been around the program. Once you moved Brian Johnson to offensive coordinator, that was Dan saying to Brian, this is how you're going to progress in your career. The quarterbacks coach at the University of Florida is not going to get a head coaching job the offensive coordinator at the University of Florida that has an offense like that with Kyle Trask is going to get other opportunities. He was giving Brian an opportunity because I think he's a future superstar head coach, giving him the opportunity, knowing that, hey, you hope it's not after one year, you hope maybe two, but you bring someone in place who has head coaching experience, who has experience coaching receivers, experience developing quarterbacks, and he's sitting there and he's an analyst. So he's in the program. He knows what the program does, the expectations, how practices run, Brian Johnson, not his fault, but didn't do Dan any favors with the timing of him leaving. Yeah. At the time that he left, you've already had coaches hired and fired and moved around. So this was, to me, it looks lazy, but to me it's, okay, we have a guy who at least is familiar with everyone, familiar with our roster, knows Emery, knows Anthony, has relationships with them. It's not a sexy hire. At the end of the day, the buck stops on Dan Mullen's desk. It was a collaboration with play calling with him and Brian last year. He doesn't need that, though. Dan Mullen's going to call plays. Uh, so I think it it wasn't as lazy as I initially thought. Once I look into it a little bit more, I'm like, okay, well, maybe there was this plan in place. And if, if Brian did leave earlier than we thought, we've got somebody here that we're comfortable with taking over for the quarterbacks. Yeah, I like what you said about the timing. It did happen a little bit late in the in the process, in the cycle. Um, I'm sure there was interest. Uh, you but- saw he was a... He was a uh, uh, finalist at Boise. So you knew it was coming. You just yeah. thought, I think I thought once he didn't get hired at Boise, I'm like, okay, you got Brian for at least one more yeah. year, yeah. but his time, I think as soon as he was made offensive coordinator, I was like, 
time's ticking. He's not going to be at Florida very long. He's going to get another opportunity. It's still open. I still think – I know he just took that Philadelphia job. If I'm UCF, I still make a call. Yeah. I, I, I still make you that call. They uh, AD today, right? Right. From Arkansas State. I forget his name. But, yeah, they just hired their AD. So, I'm telling I, – I know he just – That'd be a quick yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe he hasn't moved everything out of Gainesville yet. So just a, just a short drive down there to Orlando. Shout but, out to Danny uh, White. He finally got that home and home of Florida. <laughs> oh, man. I tell you, there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Probably say the same. Probably say the same for uh, up there in Knoxville, too. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't envy it right now. Talking to my buddy Trey Wallace up there with everything going on with them. I'm like, man. I did not envy your job right now, buddy. I'm happy here. <laughs> All right, Nick, man. Uh, yeah, thanks for hopping on. Uh, what you guys got going on at Gators Territory? Uh, we got football breakdowns. I'm starting to break down the team and, and the depth chart, seeing what, what Florida has at every position. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about the running backs. I mean, this the, the room is deep. Um, man, we did our offensive preview a couple of weeks ago, and I'm telling you, I just yeah, – you, you hope Bowman's the guy anyway. Yeah. You know, just speaking for – I think it speaks to recruits a bit. You got a five-star out there you know, mm-hmm. put, putting up stats. But, I mean, you got you got a litany of guys who are all back from last yeah. year. Uh, and then we got baseball starting. Number Unanimous number one, Florida Gators. We start – shoot, next week, man. This time's flying by. Uh, so, 56 games there and uh, basketball whenever they get back on the court. Yeah, all football all the time here, Nick. But uh, what would you see from the uh, baseball scrimmages? They're really good. <laughs> they're really good. They've got enough pitching, I think, to have like a hundred game season. Um, they've got guys coming out of the bullpen that could start for Georgia or start for Alabama. Um, they're gonna be a really, really good team. Guys, if you won't get her baseball coverage, there's there's no better, no better follow than Nick uh, out there at Gators Territory and on Twitter as well at De La Torre, but uh yeah, you, you're not gonna get baseball coverage anywhere else than than, than, than how Nick covers it. Uh, you're not doing yeah. it, Dave. No, no, no. Come drive on down. You sit next to me in the press box and we'll watch some ball. We'll watch a four and yeah. a half hour, 12 inning Tuesday night game. It is funny about baseball. I, I kind of, uh, I kind of thought that to me, everybody's like, Oh, it's too slow of a game. That's why, you know, the younger crowd can't get into it. To me, it should be the perfect game for younger people. You can stay on your phone 90% of the game. Well, that's how you catch a foul ball to the face, Dave. That is true. That, that is true. I, yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. But even even but, okay, but TV wise, you can stay on your phone and, and yeah. not miss anything. It should it should be it should be the game that actually caters to people staying on their cell phones. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's gonna be it's. I've been to the new park a bunch. Um, it's gonna yeah. be hard tickets are only doing about 20 25 percent uh, of seven. They have seven thousand seats, but they can get ten thousand, so it's gonna be anywhere between fourteen hundred to 2200 per game but if you get a chance to get a ticket and go see a game that is a beautiful stadium you don't even need you can get a general admission ticket and sit in the berm in the outfield um it's a really really beautiful park and it's gonna be a fun team to watch it's a beautiful place to watch a game uh nick the schedule's pretty much staying the same right sec games on weekends well well, i guess once conference play starts but sec games weekend but still midweek games as well right Yep, yep, midweek games and next Friday Miami comes to town. So that's uh that's a that's a no better way to open a brand new park than with uh, uh a Florida and Miami series. There we go, there we go. So once again, more baseball coverage. Go to Gators Territory, follow Nick uh there. Go to Gators Territory. Uh we'll get Corey Bender on uh, sometime soon as well to talk twenty twenty two recruiting, uh how all that's gonna uh look early on uh, in in the process. Of course, we'll be on soon. Uh but Nick man, uh, thanks for hopping on again, man. Appreciate it, Dave. Always. All right. That's Nick at Gators Territory. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore S-E-C. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. Gators Breakdown.